Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out this evening. Appreciate that. I'm going to ask you, please, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 9. That is much better. However, I hope my premature baldness is not going to blind you out there with this spotlight on me here. Now, I'm going to be reading a portion of Scripture from Matthew's Gospel just in a moment, but I'd like to just preface my talk this evening with just a few comments. Um, There's one thing that I dearly love and that is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's nothing on this earth to compare to the gospel, the good news. And that good news, you know, is all from Genesis right through to Revelation, all the way through. I like that book, was it Sidlow Baxter, who entitled his book, The Unfolding Drama of Redemption. It's a drama, it's the greatest drama. All this stuff you see on television, the dramas there. Well, I mean, for a little bit of relaxation, that's okay. But this is real drama. And the thing that I enjoy most of all is seeing myself in that drama. I mean, the drama is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Prophesied in the Old Testament. And then he, he presents himself in the New Testament. He's proclaimed in the Acts of the Apostles all through the Middle East there and into Europe. And then he's preeminent in the the book of Revelation. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. It's really the most uh, explosive story of freedom. It sets a person free. I don't know if you feel free tonight if you say you're saved, but... You should feel freedom indeed. My my question, therefore, is why is it that so many Christians experience so little of the power of the gospel? Why is it? How do you feel, my brother, my sister? What, What is your reaction from day to day? Do you feel the power of the gospel? of God in your life. We are plagued, you know, with all kinds of things. We're plagued with problems, regrets, with legalism, sin in our lives, fear, what's going on in the world. Like all of these things produce a certain malaise, a certain unease in our lives. But when we concentrate on Christ, when we think of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, we believe that. It seems to me when I concentrate on that, all these other things I've mentioned and more and more could be mentioned, they all just seem to vanish. They all just seem to disappear. And yet, you know, there are many Christians who go through most days... Without even a thought, without even a thought of God, 
without even reading the Word of God, without even praying to God. Are you like that? Are you like that? Can you go through day after day and you maybe appear here on Sunday morning just to show up? Maybe not. I have to let you examine your own heart. It seems to me, rightly or wrongly, and you can tell me afterwards what you think, but it seems to me that most believers today don't seem to grasp the depths of the gospel, the work of Christ in the past, prophecy does that, in the, in the, in the, the past, the present, and the future. The work of Christ, it's all about Christ, it's all about our Savior. We don't seem to appreciate that as we soon as we should. His unsearchable riches. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And all can, we can be preoccupied with, you know, the, the, the riches that the world has to offer. Do we consider the unsearchable riches of Christ greater than all of these other things that the world has to present? Do we? Do we know the power of this gospel in our lives from day to day? We need it. We need to bathe ourselves. You automatically wash or shower or take a bath on a day-to-day -day basis. But do you automatically bathe yourself in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? I know that life is very discouraging at times and can be very, very difficult. Life is no easy journey. Why is that? Because we have to fight against the world that makes demands upon us. Our old flesh, which is the old nature that's still with us, that still plagues us and tempts us. And then, of course, there's the devil who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The forces against us are ominous. Ah, but the power of the gospel is able to defend us. It, is, it enables us to overcome these forces instead of living in a state of desperation, which many Christians, at least they call themselves Christians, appear to do. The gospel is more than a door into salvation, and I think which is one of the problems that many people have. Many see it as a door only that once you're in, once you're in through that door, that that's all there is to it. Really? Well, if that's what you think, I'm afraid you've got it wrong. Once through the door, that's the beginning. It's not the end. We need the challenges day by day which follow Salvation, which follows the new birth. Are you up to the challenge? I mean, do you feel challenged during the day or is life for you one big picnic? Well, you have to examine your heart and I will examine mine. We need the challenges. We talked this morning about silence. Psalm 46. Do you practice silence in your life from day to day? A time of intimacy with God. Intimacy means closeness or nearness. Do you, do you experience this? Would you say that you have, people talk about having a relationship with God. Very good. But tell me, is your relationship an intimate 
relationship. Close. We sing, nearer my God to thee. Are you near to God? Are you conscious of that in your life? And then, you see, there's not only a question of intimacy which comes from being silent, but it also comes from being simplicit, being simple in life. Practice simplicity of life. Try to unclutter your mind from all the things that the world and the flesh and the devil would seek to load upon your mind. Try practicing that. Silence and simplicity. And also solitude. There's another one. Solitude. Three S's. And what about surrender? What about surrender? Tell me. Have you surrendered your life to God? Have you? I mean, we sing all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. I love that hymn. Ah, but do you mean it? Do you practice it, my brother, my sister? Do you practice it? You young people, being a Christian is a serious business. It's not a, pic- it's not a picnic. Many, many Christians don't understand this aspect of the Christian life. They, they, they think that once they're through the door, as I said earlier, well, that's it. But there are implications when you accept Christ. There's a life to be lived. A life that is different from this world and the flesh and what the devil would have you live. And if you ignore these things, well then you're either a non-believer, maybe you're not saved at all. And I hate to say that. I hate to use that expression. Or else you're living in spiritual poverty if there is such a thing. It's a whole new lifestyle. You're different from the world. God has delivered you from the world, which wants to bring you down. So why leave the security and the, and the intimacy? Why, why leave all and the peace that you have in Christ and sacrifice it to the world and the world's ways? It seems today that we have manipulated the gospel... To go along, to fit in, if you like, with the cultural preferences of the day. It seems that the world has got the hold of us, has got such a grip upon us, that we have lost what the Bible teaches about the gospel and about those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that really this evening my objective is to bring you back, if in fact you need to be brought back. My objective tonight is to bring up the whole subject of discipleship, which I have examined myself from the scriptures and applied to my own self as well. I am not the personification of discipleship. I'm a failure just like you are a failure, but some are greater failures than others, of course. So let us turn, please, to a few passages in the Word of God that will help us to understand this. Matthew's Gospel, please, chapter 9. And look, please, at verse 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, Matthew 9 and verse 9, he saw a man named Matthew. Now, Matthew wrote this Gospel. And where was Matthew? He was sitting at the receipt of custom. He was sitting there gathering money for the Romans. 
He was a traitor. He wasn't a true Jew. The Jews hated Matthew because he worked for the enemy. They had come and they had conquered the land and now the Jews were under the rule of Rome as was most of the Middle Eastern world at that time. Right from India, right across to Spain and up north, up north in Europe. You know, but they never got to Ireland. Did you know that? The Romans never got to Ireland. Why? We were too tough for them, that's why. That's amazing that. There are no indications whatsoever that they ever got to Ireland. But they got up to Scotland. And they built a wall there called Hadrian's Wall. And they conquered all of Ireland, all of England and most of Scotland and Wales, but not Ireland. Aha! But there it is. There was Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, gathering money in from the Jews. Taxes. He was a tax man. We don't like tax men, do we? And Jesus said unto him, Follow me. <laughs> How simple that is. And he arose and followed him. Followed Jesus. Now this is a very, very interesting thing. The call of Jesus, now listen carefully, the call of Jesus to Matthew was followed by obedience. It says that the call was, follow me, and he arose and followed Jesus. Now that's discipleship. Do you hear me? That's discipleship. And you might say, is that all? Yes, that's all. That's it. Following Jesus ever day by day. We sing that. Nothing can harm me when he leads the way. Darkness or sunshine, whatever befall, Jesus, my Savior, is my all in all. I love this little verse. Follow me, says Jesus. And he arose and followed him. That's all there is to discipleship. It's so simple. Immediately. There seems to be an immediate response to this call. And of course, it seems to me that when Jesus said, follow me, there was authority there. There was an authority in the voice of Jesus that compelled Matthew to rise, say goodbye to being a traitor and follow Jesus. He burned his boats, as we say. He said goodbye to the old life. And he began to pursue a new life in Christ. That's what I call complete surrender. That's what complete surrender is. Now, my, my point is this, and my question to you, young men, young women, older people, even my age. Have we surrendered our lives to Christ? Am I a follower of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? That's the most significant thing in your life. It's not going to school and getting degrees and getting good jobs and lots of money and all the prosperity that America offers. And Canada. No, no. 
This is the most important thing in your life. We sing, you know, we sing a lot of we sing a lot of hymns, and I often wonder, do we really mean it? Jesus is all the world to me. We sing that. The question is, do we mean it? Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. Don't fool yourself, please. And all I'm asking you to do this evening, as I have done in my own heart, is to examine your life. Now, the older ones in the gathering this evening, and there are not too many, but there are some, you know, in my category. And you say, well, what's the point of this message to me, Mr. Graham? I mean, I've got very few years left. And I know the feeling. I'm 78 in a couple of weeks, and my wife is 79. Don't tell her I told you. And my brother John, who sends his regards to you all, by the way, he's 80. And uh, his wife's 83. And she had a stroke this past year. But she's emerging from it, slowly but surely. So, I mean, what's this got to do with old people? Discipleship, what are you preaching that to us for? Well, what I would like you to do, and what I would like to do, is to finish well. Finish well. Keep on trucking, my brother and sister, who, are, who, who may be in advanced years. Finish well. Finish the course. Keep on going. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Turn now, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. That's the next book along. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Here's another situation that we have to consider. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and look at verse 17, please. And when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him, oh dear, and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered unto him and said, Master, all of these I have observed from my youth, from I was a boy. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Oh, I love that. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said unto his disciples, How hard shall they that have riches enter no, I beg your pardon. Let's go back a little bit. He said, he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Verse 21, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing you like, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. Now, this is serious business here. This is very, very serious. Here was a rich, intelligent, influential, eager young man, all set to go. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's dead serious. I have no doubt in my mind about that. But is he serious enough, or is he just academic? Is he just asking an academic question? I have my doubts. Now, if somebody said to you today, 
Well, I mean, out there, not so much in this chapel, but out there in the world of so-called evangelicalism, if you were to say to, if somebody said to them, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you would probably, many people would say to them, will you pray this prayer after me? And here, sign this card. Right? And repeat these things after me. And then when you do that, you're in. Now, I know I'm simplifying the situation, but that's going on all over the place. That's going on. We, we, have no, we have no record in the Bible of the Lord or the apostles teaching this. They, in many, many evangelical circles today, they make it seem so easy. And yet I have read to you from the passage of the Word of God, and we will read more, that appear to make it difficult. Why do we make it easy? That's the numbers game. That's why. It's the numbers game. So many got saved tonight. So many came forward. So many signed the cards. And away we go. Well, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. Jesus said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. It was a call to this young man to abandon everything and follow Jesus. Just the way the twelve disciples did. When Jesus called the twelve, they rose and they followed him. Not only Matthew, as we saw, but others. And you know what happened to them? Well, Judas, of course, he committed suicide. He was a false disciple. He was just along for the ride. Are you? Are you? Do you belong to this assembly just to go along for the ride? Be careful now, please. Be sure your sin will find you out. I'm warning you. Don't try to live this kind of life of pretending you're a Christian when all the time you're a phony. Now I'm speaking right from the hip here, right from the shoulder as it were. I'm not mincing words. I know this might seem harsh, but there's so much false profession today that I'm really concerned about this. You know what happened to Judas, of course, but you know what happened to the other 11? They were murdered. Well, what, ten of them were. Murdered. All murdered for Jesus. Believing in Jesus. One of them, John, was exiled to the island of Patmos. And I'm not sure if he died there or not. Have we redefined the gospel in North America? I believe we have. And throughout Western Europe as well. We make it nice and comfortable. Well, I will be devoted to Christ, but, but, but only in a little bit. Don't, don't, don't press me too much, Mr. Preacher. There's the promise, you know, in this earth of prosperity. I want to be a prosperous person. I want to pursue my goals. Do that. You pursue your goals, but pursue them under the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. Christ dwelling within you. Absolutely. It seems to me that we have molded Jesus into our image. We have been made in the image of God Almighty. But it seems to me that the Christian community at large, as I pursue it, as I read about it, and as I see what's going on, oh man, I'm so, I'm so concerned about that. We have, we have molded Jesus into our image. 
And we've ended up, we have ended up worshipping ourselves. The worship of self is widespread throughout the evangelical community. Now he called Jesus good master and, he, and the Lord said, well, why do you call me good? Only one person's good and that's God. In other, words, in other words, if you say I'm good, you say I'm God. I wonder did the young man mean that? I wonder. In other words, the questioner, the young man who asks the question, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's standing before God. Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? I do. That's one of the most prominent um, doctrines of the word of God. That the word was made flesh and the word was God. But the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We heard of that this morning in the morning meeting. What a meeting. What a meeting. Oh, my heart was cheered. It's still cheered. He went away sad. Go and sell all that you have and follow me. Well, he had great possessions. That's the ultimate encounter. Yes or no? The young man said, no thanks. No thanks. And he went away sad. By the way, he obviously had not kept the commandments. How do I know that? This man says, I've kept them all from my, since I was a boy. No, 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 you haven't. You see, the Bible tells us that the law, the Ten Commandments, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Well, the law, the Ten Commandments brought him to Christ, but in this encounter with Christ, he said no. He went away sad. He went away sorrowful. He was sad. He hadn't kept the commandments. And it says, you know, by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do I know I'm a sinner? Well, the law says you're a sinner. You know, the Ten Commandments. Go through the Ten Commandments there in the book of Exodus. And examine yourself. Have you kept the Ten Commandments? Of course you haven't. The whole idea behind the Ten Commandments and the law of God, generally speaking, is to show that we're lost, we're sinners, we're guilty. So then, when we find that, what do we do? We cry to God for mercy. And he saves us. Through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And then we begin to follow. It's salvation plus following. Now we're not saved by faith and works. We are saved only by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. But the works that you do from day to day. To the glory of God, they will indicate to you the fact that you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're doing what God commands you to do. So he wasn't prepared to follow Christ. Are you following Christ day by day? Am I following Christ day by day? One of the greatest uh, books ever written on discipleship was by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In fact, I was coming down the highway and switched to the Christian station WBN and they were doing a little dra dramatization of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German, who lived in America, by the way, and studied in America, as you know. But he went back to Germany when he saw what was going on with Hitler and the regime and the Nazis. He went back there. But he said these words with regards to being a disciple. Now, listen carefully. 
when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Ooh, that's heavy duty, isn't it? When Christ calls you and he calls me, he calls us to die. To die. Now, fortunately, we live in a land where Christians are not persecuted, at least not yet. There are many, many lands in the world where Christians are being persecuted as I speak. As I speak. We're called upon to die. The cost is great. It's not easy. It's not easy to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we, if we, if we don't follow him, then what about the millions who have never heard the gospel? What are they going to do? It's only those who follow Christ can produce the gospel, can preach the gospel, can proclaim the gospel. Go you into all the world and proclaim the gospel, and lo, I am with you always. All power, all authority is given to me, says our blessed Savior. You go now. So what are we doing? Now, Boulevard, Boulevard is noted up and down the coastline for its efforts in the gospel. I'm not saying this to praise you, but you do a good work. You're trying. You're not like most of the Christians throughout North America who were just content to say, yes, I'm in, and that's it. They're not interested in evangelism. Very, very few are. I read a story. I read a story about a a missionary going out to Sudan in the year 2004, just six years ago. And he was reading a, an article in the church bulletin, church magazine, a church publication. And this article was celebrating the building of their new church. $23 million to build the church. Big splash pictures of this and great details about the stained glass windows the architecture and so the design, the exquisite design and all the details of the new church. Now this missionary was going to Sudan and this is what he was reading and then there was another article fairly close by, a very very brief article and the same church helped the Sudanese refugees they subscribed $5,000 23 million dollars to build a huge structure and they sent 5,000 dollars to the refugees in the Sudan where malnutrition is rampant and people are dying by the hundred not only in Sudan but in other places I had a brother up in uh, Boca in, this, in the condominium where I lived where I live and he said to me, Harry, you know, you should, you should get a break from Boca Raton Bible Chapel. He appears there just periodically, just to see what's going on, you see. And uh, he said, Harry, you should go. And he said, you know what? You should go down to that church down there in Deerfield Beach. You know they have 200 people in the choir. I said, wow, wow, that's amazing. But give me Boca Chapel any day. You know, where the saints gather, just as you did this morning. And my wife was telling me when I got home, my wife, just as we had a magnificent time with the presence of God in our midst, and we, in obedience to him, oh men, we worshipped him from our hearts. We sang his praises. 
Well, the same happened at Boca. It was so profound that Mr. Burkle, you know Mr. Burkle, Mr. Burkle, he's, he, he was sitting there, and here's a man in his 90s, he was sitting on the seat, and he said, he said to the saints, I'd like you to be just quiet for two minutes. Two minutes. Now, I think you must have heard me down here talking about silence. I don't know. But, but he said, I want you to be silent for two minutes. And oh, the sense of God's presence. My wife was weeping when she told me. And I was weeping with her because the saints were in the presence of God. And they were enjoying his presence and giving God all the glory. I don't need a 200. I'm not, I have no objection to choirs. Bless their hearts. If that's what they want. But oh, there's nothing to beat meeting with the saints and just praising our wonderful God. Where have we gone wrong in the evangelical world? Where have we gone wrong? How did we get here? We got here by forgetting all about discipleship and the demands of Christ. That's it. We're not prepared to pay the price. Where do you stand, my brother? Where do you stand, my sister? And before God, where do I stand? I know this is very searching. Turn, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, please. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, for another example of this. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And look at verse 23. And he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Perhaps we should read a little bit more. Verse 26. What's, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words... Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come before him in glory, and in his fathers, and in his fathers, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. So look at verse twenty three. Said unto them, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Let him deny himself, rather. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. In other words, a Christian here is being asked by the Holy Spirit who gave utterance to these words, the inspired word of God, the absolute necessity of denying yourself, self-denial. Now, brethren and sisters, we're not good at practicing this. Maybe it's time we start it. Let him deny himself. Every day we have to crucify the flesh. Every day we have to overcome the world. We have to overcome the flesh and overcome the devil. There's more to following Christ than coming to the meetings of the assembly. Many Christians in our assembly don't even come to the meetings. Except maybe Sunday morning. This whole business of denying self. We love to please ourselves. We love to indulge ourselves. We love to be, you know, 
worldly minded that we can take on anybody else in the world, but not pleasing God. If you don't take up the cross, there's no crown for you. That's the bottom line here. You should take up the cross daily and follow me. And verse 24, whatsoever, I mean, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. I mean, the unspeakable value of the soul with live a Christ-centered life. That's what this is all about. What's a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul and lose himself or be cast away? Don't miss the purpose of life. The whole purpose of your life. Why did God make you and why did God make me? Well, I love the old Presbyterian catechism when it comes to this because it's biblical. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, brethren, the whole theme of the meeting this morning was glory. Glory. The glory of the person of Christ. The glory of His pristine life. The glory of the cross. Imagine a place of shame and an object of shame. But that's our glory. That's our Savior. We give Him all the glory. We give Him all the glory. The glory of His resurrection. The glory of His coming again. The glory of His millennial reign. The glory of being with Him eternally and gazing upon the glory of Christ. Oh, man. This, this is absolutely staggering. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy God in the presence, His presence, day by day? Are you practicing the presence of God? Are you? Is it part of your life? You see, a life surrendered to Christ, that's a genuine living. That's genuine living. The world thinks we're crazy. The world thinks we're foolish. Let them think whatever they wish. The life that is surrendered to God, surrendered to Christ, is the only life that's worth living. And in verse 26, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. Hey, tell me, are you ashamed of Christ? The danger of being ashamed of Christ? Like, are you standing up? Like we sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. But when you go to work in the morning, what will you do? Will you say, Lord, you just stay outside, please. I mean, I can't bring you in here. You stay outside, I'm going inside. And then you see the world. You can't do that. Are you ashamed of your Savior? Don't be conformed to the world. Be not conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you say, that'll cost me something. Of course it will cost you something. That's the Christian life. Loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ will lead to glory. And then finally, brethren, for the time is gone, just another passage. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, go to verse 57, please. 57. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, really? Hmm. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes of holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Here's a would-be disciple. Here's somebody who is eager to follow. At least that's what it seems. And it almost seems that Jesus is, take, is talking him out of it. You see, we make the Christian life so simple. 
And, and by the way, it is simple, the simple plan of salvation. But we only present the basics. We don't talk about the discipleship, the follow-up, what's expected. And the Lord here made it quite clear. You know, if, if, if you want to be my disciple, you know, it's possible you're going to be homeless. The foxes of holes, the birds of the air of nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is that what you want? Now please notice that this man was not called. You can't follow if you're not called. There's no, there's no indication here that he was called. But Jesus shows what's involved. It's going to involve suffering, homelessness, etc. But there was no response from the man. There's absolutely no response. So we assume, we assume that he wasn't really interested. And yet he said, Lord, I will follow you. Really? Really? And then there's the second would-be disciple. Verse 24, verse uh, Oh, verse, let's go on. Jesus said unto him, now verse 59, and he said unto another, follow me. Now here's the call. This man gets the call. But he said, Lord, I want to go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. How do you like that? Now what's wrong with this fellow? You see, the law, the law, told this man that he, it was his responsibility to bury his father. Now, we don't even know if his father was dead. Was he awaiting his father's death? Probably. And it was his duty under the law to bury his father. And he was being very pious by coming to Christ and saying, Lord, I mean, I want to do this. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. And go you and preach the kingdom of God. So when Jesus calls somebody, when Jesus calls this man, the law has to take a back seat. The law has its usefulness. But when Jesus, who epitomizes the law, who personifies the law, when he says, you follow me, then the law takes a back seat. After all, the law, as I said earlier, is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So this man, you know, this man, bless his heart, He said to another, follow me. But then he said something that's very striking. He said, Lord, suffer me first. You get that? Suffer me first. That's, 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 that's what's wrong with this fellow. And that's what's wrong with many of the Christians today when they hear a message like this or when they go into the scriptures and read, Lord, but, 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 but me first. You know, I, I mean, I have things to do. I've got, I've got objectives. I was taught to have objectives, Lord. I mean, I can't follow you in school or follow you in university. Do you realize what it's like in university? Of course I do. Think the Lord doesn't know? Most of them today are just a bunch of heathens, atheists. I know that. You know that. And then another one says, 61, another one said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. I want to I say goodbye. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There it is. He makes an offer to follow on his terms. Me first. There's another one of those me firsts. I want to go back home, say goodbye. Me first. With all due respects to your call. 
He stipulates his terms. He wants to say goodbye. Well, discipleship tolerates no conditions. When the Lord calls, he calls. And you either say yes or you say no. Everything else, brothers and sisters, will fit into place. Believe you me, if you follow Christ on a day-to-day basis, you will never regret it. Everything will fit into place. And I know, by the way, that we're not perfect. None of us is perfect. Jesus pitched his demands very high. A lot of this easy believism today, all over the evangelical world, there it is. It's easy to become a Christian. It's not easy. Counting the cost. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added unto you. That's the principle of the word of God. Now, I think I'll stop there because there's another beautiful passage which you can look at it yourself in Luke's gospel chapter 14. But it's very, very important that you look at it. You see, this is a radical thing. This is, this, is something that is, this is something that is absolutely right. To abandon yourself to God is something radical. Now, are you prepared to do it? Are you prepared to do it? You don't make the offer to Christ. He makes the offer to you. When the Lord said, Peter, I want you to come. Peter left his nets. Goodbye fishing. When, when the Lord said to Matthew, Matthew, follow me, and he followed him, he left the taxation job. He left the riches, and I'm sure a lot of these men were noted, as you very well are aware, noted for taking a little bit of cream off the top before they gave it to the Romans. They were notorious for this. That's why they were hated by the Jews. But Matthew left the receipt of custom, and away he went. The question is, is Jesus worth abandoning everything for? That's the question. Some will say thanks, but no thanks, Mr. Graham. I'm afraid I can't accept this. I will decide what to do with my life. Thank you very much. Well, that's the way of the world. That's the way of the world. That is not the way of Christ. That is not the way of the Scriptures. Whereas many of us, I would trust all of us, I hope we have said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. May the Lord search all of our hearts this evening. As we ponder these things, as we go out that door and into the world, let us examine our hearts on our way home. Let us examine our hearts before God. And don't worry about these big mega churches. I got, an, I got a circular, a big, big, fancy circular. It was that, that size and that depth. It was all folded into parts. A new church is coming to Boca Raton. It's called the Boca Raton Community Church, and it's going to be up in one of the big high schools. They're going to use the auditorium. And then it says, lots of rock and roll. Don't bring your parents And I can imagine, you know, when these, this is circulating all over Boca Raton, I can imagine thousands of young people going to this. Don't be going there. Don't be going there. When Jesus finished his ministry, now I'm getting all warmed up again here. When Jesus finished his ministry, 
He had 11 disciples. Maybe you want to say 120. That's fair enough. You call that a mega church? That's a mini church. Did Jesus go about marketing himself to attract people to then uh, and, and, and formulate a huge megachurch? No, 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 no. Jesus told it as it was, straight goods. And thankfully, many millions over the years, many millions of people over the years are following Jesus. And I'm sure you are in Boulevard as well. So go in peace and the Lord bless you. You're wonderful people. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. You've been good to me over the years. You've encouraged me. And that's what it's all about, brothers and sisters. That's what it's all about. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. One day at a time. Let's do that. Let's ponder these things tonight. And before we go off to sleep, let's just lift our voices in praise to Almighty God. And come into the new day tomorrow. I have decided to follow Jesus today. Let us pray. Our Father, we bow before you and give thanks. You not only have saved us, cleansed us from our sins, but you have brought us into this magnificent relationship of serving you every day, proclaiming your word, Sowing a little seed here and a little seed there. Finding time throughout the day just to lift up our voices in, the, in, the, in our rooms, wherever we might be, of thank, giving you thanks and praise and seeking your blessing upon our lives that we will be a good and faithful witness. Help us to follow you, blessed Lord Jesus. Help us to wait with great expectancy and anticipation to your coming again to take us to be with yourself even so come Lord Jesus we commit ourselves to you now in the precious and worthy name of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ